0: If you have a Bible or a little sheet of paper, we're going to transition. I'm going to draw your attention to this, and um, just let you know: if, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing this semester is that we have been walking through what the Bible has to say about relationships, and tonight we're going to we're going to talk about um, friendship, which I know for many of you may feel like a little bit of. Uh, A downer. Like there's nothing really flashy or sexy about friendship, and uh, (laughs) someone makes my say sexy. But um, there's nothing really cool about friendship, and I think there's there's a few reasons why that is. One is because if you just think about the way that our culture talks about relationships, if you look at the People magazine and the grocery store. Nobody's talking about celebrities that have that have become friends with each other. They're always talking about you know celebrities that are shacking up with each other or celebrities that are you know involved in scandal or whatever. Like Ashton Kutcher and Justin Bieber becoming friends is not going to make um, you know the front page. So that's one reason why friendship is not that cool to us. I think another is just with the proliferation of Facebook and social media. I mean, we have hundreds and some of you thousands of friends, and these sort of Artificial digital friendships just make it make friendship feel uh, not interesting. Furthermore, in our day and age, we have a phrase now called being friend-zoned, which is not a good thing. Like when so when you get friend zoned by somebody, that's not like yes, like we're friends now. That's that's a bad option of the possible scenarios. So for all those reasons, I feel like friendship is not. uh, We're not interested in it. We don't talk about it a lot. But if you don't hear me say anything tonight, I want you to at least hear me say this: that you will you will never be. You will never have a good marriage. You will never have a good dating life. You will never have a good sex life. Until you learn how to be a friend. So here's what, again, if you don't hear me say anything tonight, you have to hear this. That friendship is the beginning and the end of every worthwhile relationship that you can have. Friendship, it's the beginning, it's the end. It's the purpose, it's the foundation of every worthwhile relationship that you can have. So what we do in RUF is that we we try to look to the Bible to see, does does the Bible hold out any wisdom for us on these particular topics? I know not everybody in this room agrees with the Bible, likes the Bible, and that's okay. But let's just at least explore, maybe the Bible holds out some truth to us tonight. So let's look at a couple of just randomly selected, um, not randomly selected, but... um, (laughs) A handful of proverbs that I intentionally wanted to look at. So let me just read some of these and um, we'll talk about it together. It reads this. Starting with the first one A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy." He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. Last one. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. This is God's word for us tonight. Let me pray and then we'll jump in and take a look at it. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you meet us wherever we find ourselves. Thank you that you um, have not abandoned us, but that you are a God that speaks, a God that reveals, a God that has disclosed your heart and your intentions to us and made yourself known to us. And so I pray as we turn our attention to your word, would you speak? Would you pierce our hearts? Would you bring the truth of these passages deep into our soul and change us from the inside out? Start with me, because I need it, and start with these folks uh, as well. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I'll, I want to look at friendship, the topic of friendship, from basically three different angles, three different headings. So, am going to give you a little road map of what we're gonna, where we're going tonight. We're going to look at basically what is the nature of friendship, then the relevance of friendship, and then the power for friendship. So there are your big words. Uh, the nature of it, the relevance of it, and the power of it. So let's look first at what the nature of friendship is. And basically what I'm trying to get at here is, what even is it? What do we mean when we use that word? What does the Bible mean when it uses that word? And so we're going to camp probably here for the you know, the longest of these three ideas. And what I want to do is basically look at the nature of friendship under four more categories, four characteristics of what what friendship really is. So here's the first characteristic that that a true, authentic friendship is characterized first by chosen commitment. Chosen commitment. This is where I get this from. These first two proverbs, seventeen, seventeen. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions will come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. So the reason why I say chosen commitment is that both of these words are important. Chosen basically means that friendship is deliberate. It's intentional. This is why, if you noticed, it says that a friend differs from a sibling. It says a brother is born for adversity. It means your sibling, your brother, your sister, will be there for you. They're born for those situations where you have adversity, but the kind of the assumption is is they have to. I mean, they're family, They, they, they were born into this. But a friend doesn't just by, you know, by just showing up, they're connected to you. A friend has to choose you. A friend has to be deliberate and intentional to move towards you and say, I'm gonna be your friend. It's chosen. It's different from a sibling. In fact, it even says in that way, it's, it's better than a sibling. They stick closer than a brother does. Chosen, but here's the second word of why that's important. Chosen commitment. It says that a friend, if you look at that first proverb again, a friend loves at all times. Good times, bad times, boring times. A friend commits to you. Which basically means that a friendship is not based on convenience. It's not, hey, I'm in this, I'll be your friend as long as we're getting along. Or as long as this is working out for me. As long as this feels good. A friend says, hey, I'm sticking to you. I'm I'm electing, I'm signing up for you, despite what happens. A friend loves at all times. So that's the first real characteristic of what makes a friend a friend, is that it's it's chosen commitment. Here's the second characteristic I want to look at. Commiseration. Commiseration basically just means to cry with, to hurt with, to be miserable with. You know, here's where I get this from. Look at Proverbs twenty-five twenty. This third one. It says, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. The proverb is basically saying, look, if you can sing songs, if you can be happy while your friend has a heavy heart, while they're upset, then that shows you that you're not really a friend. Because what a friend is, a friend has their heart, their joy, their sadness so threaded, so connected to their friends, that if your friend is upset, you're upset. If your friend is hurting, you're hurting. If your friend is celebrating and you know, enjoying the successes of their life, then you're happy for them. But if you can be happy and thrilled with life while your friend is in the dumps, then your heart's not connected to theirs. And also, just by way of application, I think what this also means is that when your friend is hurting, when they have a heavy heart, to commiserate with them means that you enter into the hard places of their life with them. You actually sit with them. You you hurt with them, but like as this problem sort of paints this weird picture, if you can sing songs to them, like you would never do this. Your friend's hurting, and you try to cheer them up by singing to them. You would never do this, but if you did, I mean, this is. But I mean, we do the same thing when we just sort of throw cliches at them. We just sort of slap on bumper stickers and Bible verses, and it's all going to be better. It's it's going to be okay. It's all good. While your friend's hurting, what we're basically doing is we're. we're Looking at someone really wounded, really in pain, and we're saying, look, I don't want to go into the mess of your life, so I'm just going to stand at a distance and sort of lob these care packages at you and hope that it makes you feel better. The Bible says, look, if you sing songs, if you're happy clappy while your friend is in the dumps, then your heart's not connected. Your heart isn't threaded and interlaced with theirs. So that's that's the second real characteristic of authentic friendship commiseration. Here's the third um, the third characteristic. confrontation. You see they're all starting to see. You see what I did there? Okay. Um, look at confrontation. I, I look at um, chapter tw- 27 verse um, five and 6. It says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. It's interesting. It's setting up this paradox because it's talking about kisses from an enemy, but wounds from a friend. Now, what would, what, would, what would friendly wounds look like? I think it would look like this. It's you saying something hard to your friend that may be really painful for them to hear, but they have to hear it for their own sake. That, that you're willing to say something to them that's hard, that might even risk the relationship. But it's something that they need to hear for their own health. It's not you confronting them out of anger. It's not you confronting them, trying to blast them, trying to shame them, trying to make them feel bad. You're not fighting against them. You're actually fighting for them. You're willing to say something hard to them because you're actually trying to love them in that moment. Do you remember what um, Dumbledore said at the end of the first Harry Potter book story, whatever it was? Here's what he says at the very end. He says, there are all kinds of courage. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. You remember that? He's talking about how Neville Longbottom confronted the gang and Dumbledore gave him 10 points, and Gryffindor wins, and it's awesome, right? Remember? Sorry, spoiler alert for the first Harry Potter book. But. but I think he's right. Dumbledore's right, as he is on most things, that it takes a lot of courage to confront your friend. In fact, I think it probably takes more courage to confront your friend than it does your enemy. But here's the question. What if, what if you don't muster up the bravery? What if you're too afraid to say something hard to your friend? What if you're too afraid to say that thing that you know you have to say to your friend? Well, then what happens? Well, according to Proverbs, that means that the way that you relate to them is that you just flatter them, you kiss them, in the sense of that you'll only say nice things to them, you won't say the hard things to them, which actually makes you an enemy. Not a friend. And here's why. If you you look at 29.5, let me read it. It says this. The very last one in the very... bottom there. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet, meaning that you're setting a trap for them. If you only flatter them, if you never confront them, you never say the hard thing, you're basically setting a bear trap for them that they're just walking into by their own doing. You could have helped them, but you didn't. Look, this came, this came really home to me when I was in college. Um, two of my good friends Blake and Clint, I still vividly remember. They came into my dorm room, and they sat me down, and they said, Matt, we need to talk with you about something. Um, We have noticed that you are a social chameleon. When you're with this group of people, you morph, and you act like they do. When you're with this group of people, you morph, and you act like they do. And when you're with this group of people, you morph, and you act like them you are putting on all of these different masks to get everybody to like you, to have everybody impressed with you and have everybody think that you're great. Like that's what you're doing that, and they're holding up this mirror to me, and if I'm honest, uh, my reaction in that conversation um, was not pleasant. I was defensive, I was angry, I was hurt. I didn't like that we're having this conversation. But here's the thing is: when I left that conversation and went back out and did life that thought was way more on my radar. And I became so much more self-aware. And so I started to realize, okay, man, when I am with this artsy group, I do find myself sort of using this language and sort of acting this way. And when I'm with these people, I am a little bit more goofy or I'm trying to get everybody to laugh. And when I'm with you know, the guys to play basketball, I'm hitting them on the shoulder and like doing like man stuff. And I, it became so much clearer to me that my sin ran so much deeper than I thought it did. That there is, this, there is this deep idolatry in my heart that says, I have to have people like me. So much so that I will transform my very personality in order to get it. And what they did is they loved me in that moment. They said something hard. They risked the friendship. They hurt me in the moment. But it gave me eyes to see who I really was. It was a friendly wound. But if you're, not, if you're too afraid to do that, if you're only going to flatter them, only going to kiss them, as it were, you're just going to let them live a life of their own destruction. So that's the third real you know, aspect of real friendship. It's, it's confrontation. Here's the last one. The last one is this. Confession. If you look at Proverbs 23... 18, it says this. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is talking about you being open about what's bad about you. Not concealing your sin, not hiding it, not denying it, not excusing it, but letting someone in to actually see who you really are, to see the the yuck that's in there. Letting someone all the way in. A close friend will do that. A close friend will let you all the way in. Look, uh, those two guys that I mentioned a second ago, Blake and Clint, there's one other good friend of mine from college, Russ. And the three of us, we live all over the country now. One lives in Seattle, one lives in Charlottesville, one lives in Texas, I live here. And once a year we all fly in to stay at a cabin right outside of Asheville for this you know, three or four days to spend together. And it's one of my favorite weekends out of the year because we get to hang out and catch up, we go whitewater rafting and kayaking and paintball and we just do we just play hard and eat well and um uh, enjoy good drink and enjoy a good time together. And so what we do basically in that time together is not just have fun, as, as fun as it is, but we set aside big chunks of time to do confession. To really open up and let each other know what we're really struggling with. And so we celebrate our successes, but we, we're also really real and raw and honest about our failures. How we failed in our marriages, how we failed sexually, how we failed vocationally. And it it's, can be raw and heavy at times. But I come out of those weekends feeling so um, rejuvenated. But there's, there are people out there that know me, that I don't have to pretend around. I can, I can be completely raw. I can say whatever I want. I can let them into the darkest part of who I really am, knowing that they're going to love me, knowing that they're going to receive me. And I think that, you know, in some ways, that, that's what friendship is. If you don't have a friend that you can be totally raw with, totally open with, then you don't have a friend. So you put these four things together, and in some ways, this is a composite of what makes a real friendship. I don't think this is an exhaustive list, but I do think these four things are necessary: chosen commitment, commiseration, confrontation, confession. If these four things are not a part of your relationship, you, I'd say you don't have a friend. I mean, you have a buddy, you have an acquaintance, you have someone you like, but a real friendship is going to have these. Four characteristics to it. So that's really what the, the nature of friendship is. Second big idea. Uh, who cares? <laughs> why does this matter? So, well, let's talk about the relevance of it. The relevance of it. Why this actually? Why are we even talking about this? Here's why it matters. Well, more subpoints are coming your way. I'm going to give you three more areas of why this matters. We're going to look at guy-girl friendships, dating, and marriage. Why this is at all relevant to these three big categories of the world that you live in? So, how is dating, or sorry, how is friendship relevant to guy-girl friendships? In other words, the question is: Can guys be friends with girls like this? And you know, this this is the, the question that the um, movie When Harry Met Sally raises. You know, classic old movie. This is this is in some ways the age-old question: Can guys be friends with girls? And I'm going to tell you this on the front end. My opinion on this, you're going to disagree with me about. You're going to think that I'm wrong. But in seven years, you're going to come back and tell me I was right. So just give me seven years. No, I know right now you're going to think I'm crazy. That's fine. Seven years, you're going to come back and say, Matt, you were right. I was wrong. And I'll record it and shame you over it. So just know... I'm right and you're wrong. So here's the question. Can, can you have a deep friendship uh, with someone of the opposite sex? Here's the point. All friendships between guys and girls, all close, authentic friendships between guys and girls, they are heading towards one of two destinations. One is marriage. Second, wounds. Wounds. Close friendships between guys and girls, they're heading towards one of two destinations either marriage or wounds. So think about it. If, if you have uh, a, a, someone of the opposite sex that you really are emotionally intimate with, involved with, talk with, say, you know, they really get me, I spend a lot of time with them, I can talk with them late at night, we can hang out all the time. Your two options are you can marry that person. Which would be awesome. Like, that would be the ideal scenario. Best case scenario. You marry that person that you're intimately connected with emotionally, or the alternative is that someone's gonna get wounds. Here's how it works think of it like this that deep connection fosters intimacy, right? And that intimacy uh, inevitably means that someone in the friendship is gonna start experiencing feelings for the other person. Even though you may always deny it. And we never talk about it. And in fact, if someone asks you about it, you get weird and defensive about it, you're like, no man, she's my sister. Like we we we're like like, sisters. Like she's my sister. I'm her brother, I guess, so we're not totally sisters. (laughs) But she's my sister, I'm her brother. You know, we can just like we can like bro out or sis out with each other. And so you deny it, you 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 know, say like this is this is totally cool. We deny that there are ever feelings that flow, but whatever, whatever happens, you know, you got this friend, this friendship, a guy and a girl. Inevitably, someone from this friendship starts dating someone else, and the, the friend that kind of gets left behind experiences some level of jealousy, and the friend that starts dating someone new it starts experiencing some level of guilt, and things get weird. And and then think about it from the person, the, like the new boyfriend who's come in and is like. Why does my girlfriend want to spend all this time with this other dude like late at night and they're they're always talking with each other and it's always emotionally vulnerable? Like that's that's kind of weird. And, and so think about it like this. Do you think that though that your close, intimate guy-girl friendships are gonna carry with you into your marriage? Should you get married? Like if if you're a dude and you marry Jessica, are you going are you gonna Maintain and sustain the same level of intimacy that you're that you currently share with Susan. No, the answer is no. Like if you like, I'm I'm married. If you see me around Knoxville spending time, being emotionally intimate and vulnerable with a woman who's not my wife, that would be weird. That'd be that'd be sinful. I would hope that you would have the guts to confront me or say something about it, because that's not, that's not okay. My point is, is that those friendships that you think are great right now, it's only going one of two places. You could marry them, which would be awesome. Or someone's going to get hurt. Or both of you are going to get hurt. You think I'm crazy. You think I'm wrong. In seven years, I'll prove you wrong. Come back. I'll shame you. So here's the, here's the, it's a joke. You know it's a joke. Here's the second thing. So that's how friendship is relevant to guy-girl friendships. Here's how friendship is relevant to dating. Here's how friendship is relevant to dating. The best dating relationships are foundationally, fundamentally, friendship with romance peppered throughout. If you can picture it this way, let me give you a mental image. Um, I really love hot sauce. I, mean, I put hot sauce on everything. put on, p- on pizza, eggs, lasagna, like whatever. I'm, like, I'm all about hot sauce. And so if you, if you see a you know, slice of pizza, I will put hot sauce on it. But if you think about the pizza, the slice of pizza is the substance. It's the foundation. It's the thing that you're actually eating. But it's, it's got some spice on it. It's peppered. It's got a little spice on top of it. <laughs> But what happens with with y'all, especially with guys, is that guys will reverse it. They're like, I don't want friendship with a little bit of spice on top, a little bit of romance on top. I want romance, I want sexual fulfillment, I want attraction, and then I want a little friendship on top. And the way that that works out practically is you walk into a room like this, and you filter out and sort of screen out 90% of the room based on looks, and say, I'm not interested in these 90%. I'm going after the 10% that are attractive, that are hot, that are cute, whatever. And then you start moving towards those 10% and start working the angles and try to talk with them. And maybe try to get those digits or whatever. And then, based off of that, you say, well, maybe we'll have a friendship out of it. Maybe we'll form a connection. Maybe we'll um, establish some sort of you know, worthwhile relationship. But what you're doing in that moment, you're not thinking, but what you're doing is you're basically saying, I want a bowl of hot sauce with some pizza bits you know, crumbled in it. I don't want pizza. I want all spice, a little bit of substance. And my point is this, is that all spice and no substance, it won't fill you. It won't fulfill you. It won't satisfy you. Friendship is foundationally, it, it, it is the core, it's the bedrock of what makes a good dating relationship. It, it's friendship with romance sprinkled on top. But here's what I also, here's how I also think this is relevant for um, dating, is that I also think that dating should be a communal affair. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by that before you think, okay, this, I'm definitely leaving now, this is weird. <laughs> I think that your friends should be deeply and integrally involved in your dating relationship. Meaning this. Do your friends like the person you're dating? Do they, do they approve? Do they sign off on them? Because here's the point. Here's the thing. is that Your friends actually have a more objective vantage point on your relationship way more than you do. When you, when you start dating someone, you know what a snow globe is? You know those little snow thing things you, you know, shake and the snow falls in there? When you start dating someone, it's like you and that other person lock yourself in a snow globe. And you can't get outside of it to, to look in on, and see y'all's relationship. But everybody else, all of your friends, see it. And so if your friends are looking at y'all's relationship and they're like, this is bad, that guy's a jerk. And your response is... No, but, like, I know he's a jerk when y'all are around, but when it's just the two of us, like, he's so sweet, he's so great. Like, if your friends think he's a jerk, he's a jerk. If your friends think she's a jerk, you can deny it all you want, she's a jerk. They, they are way more in touch with reality about your relationship than you are, believe it or not. Because they're looking outside of it, you're inside of it, you can't see it. So that really, I mean, that is, a, that is one of the million-dollar questions. Do your friends like the person you're dating? When I do premarital counseling with couples that I uh, officiate their weddings for, one of the first things I ask them is that, is do your friends sign off? And I've had a couple where they loved it. They loved each other. Everyone else was like, this is toxic. This is unhealthy. And I wouldn't marry them because it's toxic and it's unhealthy. Your friends understand your relationship way more than you do. Dating is a communal affair. Last thing. How um, How is dating, sorry, keep saying that, how is friendship relevant to marriage? Well, here's how it's relevant. It's, it's, that it's because you marry your best friend. Marriage is friendship. That's what it is. You marry your best friend. If you, if you think about it like this, especially... For the majority of the people in the room, uh, you're single, not married. And um, especially guys on this side of the fence, looking at marriage, thinking when I get married one day, I know you think this because I stood on that side of the fence too, you think marriage is a non-stop sex fest. Like when we get married, it's game on all the time. I know you think it, and none of the guys are laughing because they're like, dude just threw me under the bus. But you are, you, I know you think it. But let me, let me, let me break it down for you. It, it, there are 168 hours in a week. You can check me, do the math. I'm not an engineer, but I, I, I pulled out the calculator for that one. 168 hours in a week. On average, married couples... of their whole week of having sex with each other, would total up to one hour per week. Now, you may think, dude, that's not me. I'm like superly sexually charged. I'm I'm going going way beyond an hour. Okay, for you, I'll double it. I'll give you two hours per week, which means this. Okay, do the math, 168 hours minus two. What are you going to be doing with the other... 166 hours that you're not naked with each other. What are you going to be doing? You are going to be relating as friends. Marriage is friendship with romance sprinkled on top. I'm telling you, that's what it is. And so if you don't know how to be a good friend now, you're not going to have a good marriage. Marriage is friendship. We're going to talk about marriage a whole lot more in a few weeks, so I'll leave it at that. So here's the last thing. We've talked about the nature of friendship the relevance of it and some of you are like man i've got some crappy friends i need some better friends or i've got a crappy boyfriend or a crappy girlfriend. like what like what do you what do we do now how do we get the power to have these sort of friendships these open honest authentic real life-giving rejuvenating friendships last thing where do you get the power for it well, I, I, I know some of y'all have gone back through recently and started watching um, the whole Office series from front to back, and that's on my that's on my queue to do soon. I've seen the Office, but I want to do it again. But if you remember, I think it was the you know season two um, when Michael Scott. You know Michael Scott. His overt mission in life is to have everybody be his friend. He doesn't want to be known as people's boss. He wants to be their friend. And if you remember on that. That episode, I think it was season two, when he was um, like 10 years old, he was uh, videotaped for like a child's TV show kind of thing. And so he's, he's on the camera and they're doing this thing and he brings everybody in the, um, the office, uh, the, what are they, the conference room, and he plays the video of when he was a 10 year old, like child star. This was, this was Bring Your Daughter to Work Day. And so he plays this to them when he was a little kid. And towards the end of this clip, the, the, the person in the video basically interviews little 10 year old Michael Scott and, and you know, asks him, uh, What do you want to be when you grow up? They ask him what his dream is, and here's what he says 10 year old Michael Scott. He says, My dream is to get married and have 100 kids so I can have 100 friends so no one can say no to being my friend. And as soon as that plays, he kind of like gets weird and kind of sulks off and leaves the office, and it's just sort of this like. Like an awful moment because you realize that his dream didn't come true. He didn't get married and he doesn't really have a whole lot of friends. And One of the things that makes the Michael Scott character really interesting and really, I think, kind of psychologically brilliant is that he so desperately wants friends that that is off-putting and pushes people away. Ironically, he's a bad friend because he so desperately, pathetically wants to be loved so bad. So the way that you get good friends is that you start being a good friend. But the only way that you can be a good friend is if you learn something that Michael Scott didn't, at least in season two, is that you've got to have some inner confidence. You have to have the inner fortitude to have the confidence enough to say, you know, I don't need you to be my friend, but I want to be your friend. And when you're not so needy and clingy, then you actually can have some great friendships. But that okay only raises the question one step further. Is How do you get that inner confidence, that inner fortitude, to be a good friend like that? Well, I, I think the only way that you can get that level of inner confidence is when you find yourself enjoying the friendship from the ultimate friend. And this is why the Lord Jesus himself, in John chapter 15, describes his relationship to his people in those terms. Friendship. Let me read it to you. You don't have to flip there, but it says John 15 verse 13, he says this: "Greater love has no one than this: that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus says, "Look, the way that I relate to you is that of a friend. So okay, if if Jesus is saying I'm the ultimate friend, then think about those four characteristics we talked about a second ago and apply them to Him. Jesus is the ultimate friend in that He has chosen to commit Himself to you, while all of His friends are betraying Him, leaving Him, wounding Him. Rather than inflicting wounds back on them, what does He do? He dies for them. He says, "I'm willing to be. I'm, I'm the. I'm the friend that will love you at all times." When you're a good little boy or a good little girl and you go to church, or when you're drinking yourself sick, I love you at all times. I will not abandon you. I have chosen to commit myself, to, I've signed up for you at all times. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that he's, cho- he's the ultimate friend and that he commiserates with you. You know, when you're going through a hard time, sometimes your friends don't really know how to relate with you, or they don't always do it well. But Jesus says, I, I meet you in the place of your darkest hour. I meet you in your hardest season. This is, why, this is why Jesus is called in the Bible a man of sorrows. He is not afraid to enter into the hard parts of your life. Third, Jesus is the ultimate friend in, in that he uh, confronts you. He's not afraid to confront you. He's, he's willing to bring your sin out into the light, not to shame you, not to mock you, not because he's fighting against you, but because he's fighting for you. He's trying to rid the disease that's destroying your life. He does not want to set a trap for you. He's actually committed to your deepest joy. And lastly, Jesus is the ultimate friend in that he confesses. Not in the sense that he's confessing his sin to you. He has no sin to confess to you. But but he lets you in. He lets you into the deepest part of who he is. He reveals himself to you through his word. He says, this is is who I am. And So in that sense, you you apply all of that and you think about Jesus' relationship to you. What more of an emotional connection would you want? I mean, you look at his wounds for you. You look at the way that he says, I will lay down everything in order for to get you. That's a friend. And when you find yourself fulfilled and enjoying the friendship of the ultimate friend, that's what gives you the confidence. That's what gives you the inner fortitude to now be a friend to someone else. To risk the relationship. To risk saying something hard to the other person. To, To weep with them. To hurt with them. To let them into the deepest parts of your life and your heart, to, to love them at all times, only at that point only when you're enjoying the friendship of Jesus can you be a friend and the more that you are a friend, the better your friendships will actually be so the invitation for you tonight is to come to him to enjoy the friendship of him first allow that to transform you and then move out of the world and be a friend to someone else Let me pray. Father, would you give us um, that sort of inner confidence, that inner fortitude, that stability, that buoyancy, that that we would know the deep friendship that Jesus has for us. He's chosen to commit himself to us. He dives in the darkest places of our lives. He lets us in. He weeps with us. He confronts us. I pray that that would so fill us, that that would transform our relationships, that we'd be better daters, We'd have better marriages, better sex lives, better friendships as a result. So would you be so kind and do that in our lives? We pray this in Jesus' name.